number 10 is where we are today, Mark chapter number 10, continuing our walk through the book of Mark, and uh, thank the Lord we finally have arrived back at some pericopes. So here we are, Mark chapter 10. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 46, looking forward to the next several Sundays because we have several of these stories, otherwise known as pericopes, stacked up back to back, and you know that... uh, I'm a pericope preacher. I love it. Just give me a good old-fashioned story and let's go to town. So here we are. Mark chapter number 10, verse number 46. Jesus, remember now, ever since chapter 9, since he came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, he has been heading, heading toward Jerusalem. So he's only a week out from crucifixion here at best, and he is headed up towards Golgotha. All right, verse 46 then they, that is Jesus and his band, came to Jericho. And, he and, as, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he, that is Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the roadside. Well, the cool thing about some of these stories, uh, some of these pericopes, is that they are in microcosm the gospel. If you look at them that way, it puts a whole new light on some of the things that are happening because everything that Jesus was doing was demonstrating for us the gospel, the reason why he came. And here in Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52, the story of Bartimaeus really gives us, in a nutshell, a good idea and a good understanding of what the gospel is as Jesus played it out in the life of old blind Bartimaeus. So let's look at it today under this title, The Gospel According to Bartimaeus. And do you know, you could very easily put your name in here and there ought to be a gospel according to you. We ought to be able to see the gospel according to Colin Dollar. Or we ought to be able to see the gospel according to to Elissa, because every one of us should be a signpost of what the gospel is to a lost and dying world. Do you remember last week, Pastor Tony said that everything we do or say will either confuse or clarify the gospel. And here we see that in the life of Bartimaeus. So how is this the gospel according to Bartimaeus? Well, there are several ways, and I want to point them out to you and make a few comments in passing about them this morning. Notice it's the gospel according to Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus was living in the place of a curse. 
And do you know that's where you were when Jesus found you? I hope you are not still living in the place of a curse, but Bartimaeus was. That's where he lived. That's where he breathed. That's where he had his being. That's where he set up his shop. That's where he survived in the place of a curse. Now you say, Pastor Richie, how do you say that? Well, notice, let's read this very carefully again. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse number 46, Then they, that is Jesus, his disciples, and this large band that was following him along the way back up to the festival in Jerusalem where he would be crucified, they came to Jericho. Now, you ought to know something about Jericho. You remember it figured largely into the conquest of the promised land all the way back in the book of Joshua. So I want to show you what the Bible has to say about this place called Jericho where old blind Bartimaeus was living. Notice what the Bible says in Joshua chapter 6, and it's not verse 21, it's verse 26. So just write over on your listening guide uh, in the place of that one, a six. And I, you don't necessarily have to turn there. Just listen to what the Bible says. After the defeat and destruction of Jericho by Yahweh at the hand of Joshua, notice what the Bible says. Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time saying, Cursed, it, cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. Now notice, Joshua said, after they destroyed that wretched place, Joshua said, Cursed before the Lord is the man who rebuilds this cursed place. Well... I don't even have to take you to the next place in Scripture for you to be able to know what happened. But I am. Listen to, to what the Bible reports in the book of Kings. 1 Kings, and it's chapter number 16. You may just want to write this down. And in verse number 34. Remember, Joshua said, Cursed before Yahweh is the man who rebuilds this city. Have you ever noticed that there's always somewhere some idiot who's more than willing to do what God says ought not be done. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, with the strongest warning, don't do this, there's some folk that just somehow or another get their thrills out of being defiant to God. And they foolishly think there are going to be no consequences to it. And notice what it is the Bible says, because here we are, oh, we're probably... 300, 350 years later, after Joshua has spoken not this blessing, but this curse upon whoever rebuilds Jericho. And listen to what the Bible says. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. In his days, Hiel the Bethelite built Jericho. Uh-oh. Here's the idiot, right? Notice what the Bible says. He laid its foundation with the loss of Abiram, his first son, and he set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, let's fast forward to the time of Jesus. Here we see Joshua said, don't rebuild it. At the best, let's set up a tombstone right here at Jericho and let it say, 
Here's what happens to people who refuse to surrender to the good and gracious God of Israel. But now here old Hiel comes along and he thinks, well, God's had time to cool off. It's been 300 years. I think I'm going to rebuild this good old city of Jericho. And now, after paying a great price for disobeying God, here we come down to the days of Jesus, another 600 years down the road, and we find that Jericho is a flourishing community among the people of God. Lord, have mercy. Do you see what takes place? One of my professors used to teach us this. He said, boys, he said, what's tolerated today under your ministry is going to be even reveled in in the ministry of your sons if y'all don't hold the line. And have you ever noticed that's the way sin progresses? You let it live and you let it get away. And even though we may be embarrassed of it, I promise you our children will not be. They'll glory in it. And you see, that's what happened here with Jericho. Now Jericho is a thriving city, but it's still, listen, it's still a cursed place by Yahweh God. And here old Bartimaeus is sitting in it. My question is, Bartimaeus, what in God's name are you doing in Jericho? If you know God's word, there's a hundred other places you could be living within close proximity. Get the heck out of that cursed, wretched place. And you know, to make it even worse, here's what's going on. In the days of Jesus, Jericho has kind of a a title. It has a name. Jericho is known in the days of Jesus as, get this, the City of Roses. It's the City of Roses. Now, do you know that Satan is a master gardener? Did you know that? He is. He can make roses grow on the top of a septic tank as good as anybody that you've ever seen. And that's exactly what he does, believer. Listen to me. He takes what God says is cursed and he makes it look attractive and appealing. But after the roses have faded and died, all you've got is a big tank full of doo-doo underneath the ground. Huh? I mean, that's that's where Bartimaeus is living. He's living in the place of a curse. Remember... I said this is the gospel in microcosm. Gospel means good news. But do you know the good news starts with bad news? And the bad news is you are probably, no, ain't no probably, when God found you, when God found me, we were living in the place of a curse. (laughs) Thank the good God of heaven that he has the grace and mercy to pull folk from those types of places and conditions. So the question comes to mind here, if Bartimaeus was living in the place of a curse, how do we do that today? There's no Jericho around North Florida. Bonifay doesn't have a community called Jericho. So how is it that you can live in the place of a curse? I began to think about that. Is it possible for us today to drift back and live in the city of roses in in an area, in a place that God says is cursed even though it looks good to the physical eye. So what does the Bible have to say about that? Well, I, I just simply took my Bible and began to look and research that and here's what I found. I found, oh yes, 
It is possible, sir, for you to be living under a curse today. Now, let me give you three or four scriptures. because I, you know, I thought about just spending my entire time this morning, taking my entire 20 minutes that y'all give me to preach every Sunday, and just staying right here. Come on, y'all stay with me. Laugh a little bit, huh? This is a heavy subject. We've got to laugh every now and then. Start to burn my entire 20 minutes right here because this is significant. How is it that you and I, what does the Bible say that you and I can do to cause ourselves to be living practically, not positionally, but practically in the place of a curse? Well, number one is found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 5. This verse should have struck every one of us last Sunday when Brother Tony was here. And I want to ask you to do something with this verse. Since it keeps coming up and up and up, I want to challenge you to commit this verse to memory. Here's what the verse says. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse number 5. You might already have it committed to memory. What does it say, anybody? There it is. There it is. Let's just stop right there. Cursed is the man who makes, who trusts in mankind. So here's how you can live practically under a curse. And you know what it means to live under a curse? It means to be devoid of divine favor. And here's what gets me. So many folk are asking God to bless them because a curse is the opposite of blessing. So many folk today are selfishly asking for the blessing of God while they're living in the place of a curse. And it cannot, will not, does not happen. See, curse and blessing stand opposite of one another in the divine vocabulary. And here God says, Cursed is the man who relies on human strength or who trusts in mankind. So here's the first way that we can live in the place of a curse. Number one, those who rely, Jeremiah 17, 5, on human strength. Now, do you know what that means? That means every time we attempt to do something and we say, I think I'm going to do it my way rather than God's way. Guess what you just did, Daddy? You just moved yourself right out of the place of blessing and put yourself over here in a place where you don't want to be. I mean, it's little stuff, little stuff. When we choose to separate ourselves from the people of God, when God's Word tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and when we get up on Sunday morning with the audacity as a child of God to say, you know, I'm going to do life my way today. I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what God wants to do. Well, let me say just choke on your prayer when you ask God to bless you this week. Because it's not going to happen because you have chosen to rely on your own wisdom, on your own strength, do things your own way, and you have purposefully taken yourself out of the place of blessing. Number next, how is it that we can live today like Bartimaeus in a place where we ought not be in the first place? Well, number one, when we rely on human strength. Number two, those who are religious without a relationship. Check this out. You can turn there or you can just listen. But listen to what Paul says. I want you to pick this up. Now remember, what we're looking at here is, 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 it, is that right? Can we do like Bartimaeus and actually position ourselves and live in the place of a curse? Well, just listen to what the Bible says about it. 
Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. He says this, For as many as are of the works of the law. You know what that is? That's self-righteousness. That's religion. That's, oh, when I stand before God, He's going to accept me because I did more good things than I did more bad things. That is putting yourself in the place of a curse. Listen to what the Bible says. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a what? They are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. And folk, I want to tell you, listen to me. There is so much of this stuff alive in Baptist churches today where folk think that they earn favor with God by doing good, by keeping the law. Anytime you hear somebody say something like this, I I, I had a guy the other day confront me over the issue of the Sabbath. And we Baptists are all going to hell because we don't keep the Sabbath, which is on Saturday. Y'all are supposed to worship on Saturday, not on Sunday. And I said to him, sir... My concern with your theology is if you want to pull out one of those Ten Commandments and have to live by it, you better live by all of them because you are going to be under a curse if you don't keep every one of them. And it's not just the Ten. It's all of the law. Dear God, I can't do that. That's why He sent His Son to die on a cross so that I don't have to be a religious man. I can be a man who has a relationship with God because His Son has paid the price for my failure. Huh? Man, I'm telling you, it's amazing how many folk today who sit under the preaching of the gospel who think that they're going to be okay because they keep the law. Well... That's a good, pl- good way to get yourself under a curse. No wonder God's not blessing. Because He can't. You're living in the place of a curse. So who's living under a curse? The Bible says those who rely on human strength. The Bible says those who are religious without a relationship just want to keep some rules. And then the Bible also says right here in Galatians, those who represent another gospel. Another gospel. Now check out what Paul said. You think he didn't want us to get this real good and clear? He says it twice just in a matter of two verses. Check out what Paul says. In, uh, start with me in verse number 6. Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace. You see that? Grace of Christ. Grace in contradistinction to works of the law. I'm so amazed that you have you are deserting him who has called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And he says it right, which is not really another gospel. Friend, there's a lot of stuff going around today that is, is pushed as gospel, but there's no good news in it at all. There is no good news in it. Again, I don't know why I attract all of these religious idiots, but I do just everywhere I go. I don't know another way to say it. You know, a guy began to, began to talk to me uh, just recently about how 
I don't know how to say this without offending somebody who's either here or watching today on live stream. But the old boy was pretty proud of himself because of all the stuff that he doesn't do. That was pretty, pretty apparent to me. And the reason he doesn't do these certain things, which he was naming to me, is because if I do them, I'm going to lose my salvation. Now, friend, listen to me. Any so-called gospel that says you can be saved today and lost tomorrow is not gospel. Do you hear me? That's not good news. Because I got news for you. We as human beings are so inherently sinful until you sin when you don't even know you're sinning. Are you with me? It's not just if you don't smoke, chew, or date girls who do. It's a whole lot more than that. I mean, sin is, 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 is so deeply within us and we're so blinded by it and so deceived by our hearts sometimes to we are sinning and don't even know it. And when you get next to a holy God, you realize how sinful we are. Even in our most religiously zealous moments, we are still as filthy as dirty rags. There's no way that anybody would ever be saved if that was the gospel. None of us would. And notice what Paul says about this other type of gospel. Here's what he says. Follow with me. I'm sorry. I got, I got all started preaching before I meant to. Which is really not another gospel. That's not, it's not a gospel because it's not good news. But only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, look what he says, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you. He is to be, here's our word, what is it? Stay with me. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, he is to be what? Friend, listen to me. Those folk who ride bicycles and wear white shirts and name tags that say they're elders even though they're not but 19 years old, they're not friends of God. And they're not just trying to push another version of Scripture that's easier for you to understand. They're trying to push your soul into cursedness with them. Those folk who show up on your door and want to give you some literature called Watchtower, they're not just good folk. Those folk are under a curse of God because that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how is it that we can put ourselves in that position of being cursed? Just go ahead and represent that type of stuff and that type of theology and that type of philosophy. Listen, God's not into anything except it glorify His only begotten Son. And I'm telling you, religion exalts flesh and it's a stench in the nose of Almighty God. Check out what else the Bible says about being under a curse. Who's under a curse? Those who rely on human strength. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Those who are religious without a relationship. The Bible is clear about that. Those who represent another gospel. Paul was twice clear about that. And then there's one more category of folk who are under a curse. Living in the place of a curse. And it's defined in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's those who know right and refuse to do it. 
Let me take you there now, because I don't want you taking my word for it. Second Peter chapter 2. Man, I want to tell you, if this ain't a running commentary on today's society, I, I, I want you to read 2 Peter chapter 2 sometime when you get home today. But notice some of the stuff that is in here. The, the Bible says, talking about these type of people, verse number 10, especially those who indulge the flesh and its corrupt desires, and get this, and despise authority. <laughs> Look what he says. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed." Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. Now skip that. Just man, you can go and read this. You say, my gosh, it's like he's reading the newspaper today. It's like he turned on the news and just wrote these characteristics down. Look what verse 14 says. Having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having hearts trained in greed. Here's our word. What are they? They are cursed children. And these very same people say, but God bless America. <laughs> now check this out. Notice how Peter closes this long description. I want you to see it. Because folk ask me this all the time. Because you know we kind of in the business of reaching unreached people, those who've never heard the gospel. I always get somebody who thinks he's smart and says, yeah, but what about those who've never heard? What about their fate? Well, the Bible says you go to hell. But this is what I can tell you for sure. Their punishment is not going to be near as bad as yours because you've heard and refused. If I've got to go to hell, I'd much rather go with somebody who never heard of Jesus than somebody who heard and rejected. Listen to what Peter says. That's what he says. Look in verse number 21. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed to them. Who is it that's living under a curse? Those who know right and do not do it. Listen, that scares me, sonnies. That scares me. Because we as Baptists have a whole lot more knowledge than we have practice. We know a whole lot more than we're doing. And boy, that gets mighty dangerous. And I had an evangelist one time come to our church, and I'll never forget it. He, the first revival message he preached was titled this, Trying to Have Revival with Folk Who Are Living Under a Curse. And could that be the reason today why so many of our churches are impotent and why the power of God and the power of the gospel seems to be void in our presence and, and in our churches? My goodness, well, we all like blind Bartimaeus. It might just be because we're living in the place of a curse. Now, let's get back to Mark. I just wanted to show you that old blind Bartimaeus, this is the gospel in microcosm. Why? Because he was living in the place of a curse. Number two, the gospel in microcosm, because he was living in a pitiful condition. In a pitiful condition. What does the Bible say his condition was? Well, the Bible says... Here, two words back to back in verse number 46. Number one, he was blind. 
Hey, that's pretty pitiful, isn't it? Especially in this day. In Jesus' day, he was blind. And we're talking about how this relates to us. You know, the thing, the difference is, Bartimaeus was blind and he knew he was blind. Some of us are blind, we don't know we're blind. We think we can see. Revelation chapter 3, Jesus talked to the church down at, down at Laodicea and this is what he said. He said, and you do not know that you are poor, you are wretched, you are naked, and you are blind. Because they lacked any type of spiritual vision. Oh, it wasn't that they were physically blind, but they were spiritually blind. And boy, I want to tell you today, that is an epidemic of folk being spiritually blind. Here's what I say. The reason I say that. You know, this really isn't rocket science. There's not a whole lot to it. But blind people can't see. And I'm not talking about blind lost people. I'm talking about blind believers who have no spiritual vision. You know, there's a law in physics that says this. It says, for every action, there is an equally strong opposing reaction. That means if I'm going to try to push Colin down, Colin's going to push back just as hard as I am in the opposite direction. You see what I'm saying? Colin thought I was going to push him down. I've hit him and I've done everything else to him. I'm surprised he's sitting on front row anymore. But he's still here. But there's an equal, the law of physics says, for every action, there's an equally strong opposing reaction. And you know that's the same spiritually. Did you know for every thing that God does, it is countered by the forces of evil. And I want to tell you, I'm tired of folk not getting that. I think this other gospel that cursed preachers preach says that when you come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden the opposition lays down and dies and says, well, he's gone. We nothing we can do about him anymore. Can I say to you, when you come to Christ, the battle just starts. And the devil will unleash hell on you if it works. Are you with me? It's not rocket science. If the devil can put heat on you and cause you to be a weenie and quit, then you can just look out. He's going to put heat on you all of your life. He uses whatever works. He doesn't have to be smart and come up with something new. If you let it work one time, you can just rest assured it's going to come back again and again and again. And here's what I've noticed. Matter of fact, I, I, I talked to some folk right here this week. And here's why I was talking to them. Because, man, they were coming. They were growing. They were eating it up. They were asking about next steps, about believers' baptism, about being a member of Grace Church, about getting involved with our mission. They talked to me personally on one Sunday, and that week all hell broke loose in their lives. Watch me. Haven't seen them since. You see, that's just what we do. When the going gets tough, we leave. We bail out on Christ when the going gets tough. Because we don't understand 
that that is the devil doing everything he can do in his equal opposing strength to keep you from the pathway that Christ has placed you on which is going to end up in God demonstrating his grace and glory in your life and he'll do anything to keep from God, God from being glorified in your life. So here's what I say. Realize what it is. See it for what it is. Don't fall prey to it. Don't fall victim to it. Don't write it off as just circumstances are bad and because my circumstances are bad, there's nothing. I, it's not that. It's spiritual warfare. It's hell being unleashed to try to rob God of the glory that He wants to display in your life. Here old Bartimaeus was blind. And I'm telling you that sometimes we are just as blind as Bartimaeus. He was living in a pitiful condition. Number one, he was blind. But number two, he was a beggar. You know what that means? That means his existence was dependent upon other people always. Bartimaeus was always going to be a taker. He was never going to be a giver in that circumstance. He was always going to be a consumer. He was never going to be a contributor. And I'm telling you, we have church, chairs, and pews in Bonifay and Florida and the southeast part of the United States is filled with people who are consumers and takers and they've never been converted and become a contributor and a giver. Here he was in a pitiful condition. Man, we pride ourselves on the fact that nobody's going to pay my way, but yet we'll be spiritual leeches all of our life. My goodness. Notice what happened to Bartimaeus when Jesus cured him of his physical blindness. He was no longer a taker. He was no longer a beggar. He was no longer a consumer. Son, when salvation comes to your house, you're changed. Old things pass away. All things become new. I know y'all not buying this today, but I'm telling you it's the truth. Check it out. He was in a pitiful condition. But now let's turn the story, let's turn the page a little bit. That's pretty hard preaching right there, ain't it? It's pretty tough. But let's turn the page and get to the good part. Because this is the gospel according to Bartimaeus. He was living in the place of a curse. He was in a pitiful condition. But the, the page turns because he was in the pathway of Christ. The only good thing about Jericho is Jesus had to pass through there to get to Jerusalem. I don't know if he knew that or not, but if he did, I say he was a pretty smart cookie. Because he purposefully placed himself where he knew Jesus was going to be going. Can I stop and ask you, do you know any place where Jesus is going to be on, on Sunday morning if he's going to be anywhere in Bonifay? And that's where you ought to be. Putting yourself in the place where if he's going to show up, he has promised in his word, this is where he'll show up. We have that promise. And here old Bartimaeus put himself in the pathway of Christ. And when somebody does that, notice what happens. Several things happened in pursuant to that one decision. Number one, Jesus came to his place. <laughs> he did. Jesus came to where he was. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of this man-centered theology that says you've got to seek after him. Because I want you to know when I was saved, I wasn't looking for him. 
he came to me. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? When the apostle Paul was saved, Paul wasn't a seeker, was he? No. He was a murderer going to kill more believers. And guess what happened? Jesus showed up. And that's just the way it is. Jesus came to this guy's place. It's kind of like, you remember the, the, the little song we teach in children's group about uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed up a tree and Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down for him coming to your house today. For him coming to your house today. Is it good to know that he comes to where you are? He does. That's the grace of the Lord. Not only left heaven to come to earth, but son, he seeks, came to seek and save that which was lost. Good news. Don't matter how much of a curse you're living under, he'll come to that place to rescue you. He won't leave you there. Notice number next, not only did Jesus come to his place, but his cry was persistent. Check this out. Bartimaeus could not have been Baptist. He could not have been Baptist. Because look, he was loud. <laughs> he cried. And notice what the Bible says. Check this out. In, in, in verse number 47. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene. You see, there was a big ruckus going on. Uh, there was a lot of folk in that band. And he wanted to know what was going on. What is this? This is not a normal day where I'm sitting on my mat. Just a few folk come by and a few coins clang in my, in my cup. Something big going on in Jericho today. What is it? And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, look what he did. The Bible said he began to cry out. And he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the self-righteous folk who were living under a curse, in the place of a curse, trying to look dignified in the presence of God because they've been doing good and keeping the law a little bit this week. They said to him, son, shut up. Be quiet. You're embarrassing us. Don't do that. You're not supposed to make noise like that in church. What's wrong with you? Who ever heard? You be quiet. Shut up. And look what the Bible says Bartimaeus did. The Bible says Bartimaeus was intimidated and didn't say anything else and let Jesus walk right on by. Huh? Look what the Bible says. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept on. He kept on crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> Had a persistent cry. Nobody was going to stop him. He knew that this was his one shot. And it was the Son of God. And he needed to make his voice heard. And by golly, that's exactly what he did. So he had a persistent cry. And then look what happened because of his persistent cry. Jesus called him personally. Now get this. Get this. Here Jesus, the Son of God, Going through Jericho, probably thinking, I want to get through this cursed place as quickly as I can, so let's pick it up a little bit, boys. He's going through Jericho. He's on the way to do the most important business transaction that's ever taken place on this planet. He's going to offer himself on Calvary's cross as the price paid for sinners. And all of that on his mind, he hears this one cry for mercy. Stop and think about it. There was probably a lot of religious folk there. They may have been even shouting Hosanna. There was a lot of noise, a lot of hustle and bustle. And Jesus doesn't pay attention to anything except one faint cry from a blind beggar for mercy way on the back row. My goodness. And the Son of God stopped dead in his tracks. I bet it looked like the Three Stooges when he stopped. 
Because I bet Peter and James and John, were, boop, 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 all of them, right, in, right into the back of him, you know. <laughs> Jesus stopped. and I mean, you know, that's the way it was. People like bumping into him and stuff. And here he stops and the whole train stops and almost derails. And Jesus said, Jesus said, call him. said, call him here. You know, I had this illustrated this morning. You don't think Jesus, you don't think his ear is not attentive to the faintest cry for mercy from a sincere heart? In the midst of all that noise, he heard it. This morning I was standing right back here at the entrance to Grace Kids. Wanda comes in. <laughs> She's about to drop off some babies. And the nurse was just going crazy this morning. You hear them crying back there? And I made a mistake. I said to her little girl, I said, are you, are you sure you want to go in there? <laughs> it's like they're giving shots with long needles or something. I don't know. There's a lot of crying back there. And Wanda said, I wish you wouldn't have said that. <laughs> I said, yeah, I wasn't too smart. But anyway, she went on back there. She dropped her little girl off. She comes back out and says, I think she stopped crying. And before Wanda turned and walked off, she said, nope, there she is. She's crying. And I want to say, how in God's name did you pick out that little girl's cry in the midst of all of those big upset boys that are crying back there? But she did because a mama is attentive to the voice of her child. And can I say to you that Jesus is much more attentive to the voice that cries out for mercy. In the midst of all the noise, all the hypocrisy, a cry for mercy causes him to stop dead still. Here he is. It says, call him. So notice what happens next. Jesus called him personally. Here's what the Bible says. Verse 49, call him. So they called the blind man saying to him, I, I can't believe it. Uh, he he's asking for you. Take courage. Stand up. He's called and look here for you. For you. Can I just stop right there and ask, have you ever heard the Son of God call you? Personally, I don't mean that you're here today because daddy was a good man. And this is what daddy taught. You're not here today because this is just what the crowd does on Sunday. But you have heard Jesus call you and John chapter 10 says, I know my sheep and I call them, how? By name. Has Jesus ever got in your business personally? Man, when he does, it makes a world of difference. And I swear I think today most folk haven't made their relationship with Christ their own. Their theology's not their own. All it is is something that's been handed down to them through the generations. Jesus called him personally. Now look out. Notice what happens. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said... What do you want me to do for you? So when he got in the presence of Jesus, watch me. He had a humble prayer. A humble prayer. This is what he said. I want to regain my sight. Now I want you to check this out. If you have a pen, this is a good time to use it. Because you see what he said? Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you in verse 51? If... These two stories are on the same page. You just got to move over one column to verse number 36 where James and John came to him. 
And look what Jesus said to them. Does anybody want to read it out loud? What does that tell you? What did Jesus ask both of them? Verbatim, the very same question. Did he not? The blind man got his request. James and John, the two disciples, did not. What's the difference? They go to the same Savior. He asked them the same question. And they give him an answer. But listen, one of them is born out of humility. One of them is simply, Lord, will you give me mercy and cause me to see again? The other two said, we want to sit on your left and right hand in the kingdom. We want to pontificate. Do you know why it is we don't get what we ask of Jesus? Because our prayer is not in humility. We, like James said, we want to consume it on our own lust. And it's about purpose. It's about purpose. It's about purpose. Why are you asking Jesus this? What do you want to do with it? You know, my number one job still is I'm the director and chief fundraiser for Link Up Missions, impacting unreached people groups. And before I kind of tied myself to Grace Church, it's y'all's fault that I'm not on the road today. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Heather and I were, man, we were, I mean, we were preaching at a different church every Sunday. And I'll never forget this one weekend, I was preaching at a pretty significant church. And um, it's a church that has a lot of interest and investment in who we are and what we're doing as our organization. And after that, after uh, preaching, I, I was uh, hanging out in a little... Uh, snack fellowship time with some men that wanted to ask me some questions from that church and I'll never forget what one man said. One man said this. He said brother, he said the distinction that you have made clear in our church between lost people and unreached people has just radically revolutionized the way I think about missions. And he says it has so sparked this desire in me to become missional and use what God has given me to help get the gospel to those who've never heard until I don't know what to do. And after the group meeting, he came up to me and he said this. He said, Pastor Richie, he said, if I write you a check today for $50,000, what would you do with it? I went, uh, blah, blah, blah. yeah, uh, 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 50000 Yeah, that's what I'd do with it. And you know what God taught me? God taught me through that man don't ever ask for something that you don't know real good what you're going to do with it. Are you following me? Are you with me? So here's what, I, here's what I learned. You ask me that question today. Pastor Richie, if I write you a check for $50,000, what will you do with it? I can give you a laundry list of Christ-exalting, kingdom-expanding things that's on the table at Link Up Missions right now that we're waiting for that $50,000 check. So you get out your checkbook. I got the answer, Daddy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So here's the question that I want answered by every person in every grace group this week. I'm giving you the question before the grace group. So have your answer ready for grace groups. It's going to be asked. If Jesus asks you face to face today, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? What would it be? And let's get it purpose. Is it something you want to consume on yourself? Or is it something that you want 
for His glory that's going to ultimately expand His kingdom around this world. So there's our grace group assignment. I've got to hurry. Number next, notice what else the Bible says. The Bible says this is the gospel in microcosm according to Bartimaeus. He was living in a place of a curse. He was in a pitiful condition. He was in the pathway of Christ. And finally, he was powerfully cured, my friends. Notice what it is the Bible says. Verse number 50, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up, came to Jesus. He said, I want to regain my sight. Jesus said to him, verse number 52, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Two things I want to say here. He left something. I think, I think what this represents is the fact that he left his sin. Notice what the Bible says he did. He left his cloak. See, blind people didn't have a whole lot, but they had, they had some, a, a big old cloak they'd take off and they sat on that, and that's where they sat all day to do their begging. And can you imagine how filthy that thing must have been? Sitting on the ground, it represented who he was, it represented his lifestyle, it represented how he supported himself. And when Jesus called him, guess what he did? The Bible says he got up and left it. You know what that tells me about his faith? Look, Jesus called him. He didn't say, all right, I'm coming. Let me gather up my stuff and, and come with you. Because he knew once he had an encounter with Christ, he wasn't going to need that trash anymore. Are you with me? Huh? And so many times Jesus calls us and we come to him with hands empty of stuff that we want to bring into the kingdom with us. And this old boy left it all. And that's the way you come to Christ. The only thing we bring basically is a sin-stained heart for him to clean up. Notice, not only did he leave his sin, but the Bible says he loved his Savior. How do we know that? God transformed him. He's no longer a, a consumer. He's a contributor. He's no longer just a, a taker. He's a giver. He's just not a sitter. He's a participator. And look what the Bible says. The Bible says he began following him on the road. And that road's leading to a cross. So Bartimaeus, number one, left his sin... And number two, he loved his Savior and he wanted to be in his presence. And here's the essence of discipleship. When somebody's been saved, you know what we say they are? They are a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ. Hey, are you following today? Are you following so closely that if he stops, you're going to bump into him like Peter? That's what happens when a cry for mercy has been heard. Jesus grants the request and changes our life and gives us new life in Him. Hey guys, it's the gospel according to Bartimaeus. I hope it's the gospel according to you. If not, maybe you're just hung in Jericho. And in Jesus' name, while He's passing through today, grab on and get the heck out of there. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you will help us as your people flee from the Jerichos that through false advertisement have attracted us somehow or another. And God, may we leave that place.